If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. If you're new to Urban Grace or don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our ushers would love to bring you one. Uh, that's your Bible to keep if you need a Bible. If you don't, just return it at the end of the service uh, so we can give it back to you next week. Uh, we're in a short series, uh, very short series, like two. It's the shortest series a pastor will ever preach, I think. And it, we've called it More because I believe that this year is really the year about us pursuing more of Jesus. If you're brand new to Christianity, if you're not a Christian yet or a baby Christian, uh, this just kind of prefaces how we feel. We don't just want to do more things for God. We want to have more of God. And I think that needs to be sorted out in our brains as we head into the new year. Uh, I've chosen two topics, prayer and fasting, that may sound a little weird for you in terms of uh, the spiritual disciplines. Uh, we're not going through the spiritual disciplines, but there's these two key ones that I think I want to press into a little bit as a church family, and you'll see why in a little bit. This morning we're going to be talking about fasting. Now, why am I talking about fasting with this issue of more? I'll tell you why. These two are deeply connected. And, and, and fasting, plainly explained by renowned spiritual disciplines expert Richard Foster, is this. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I'll say it again for those who are just waking up. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Fasting is not, I'm a college student, I can't afford food, and so I haven't eaten in a long time. That's not fasting. That's being hungry. That's going without food. Fasting is, I have the opportunity to go towards something, but I give this up for a season, however long that is, so that I can have an intense spiritual experience. Now, some of you have fasted and some of you have not. Some of you have fasted because uh, you genuinely know about this subject and you know what you're doing. This message actually isn't for you. Keep doing what you're doing. This message is tended towards those who are skeptical about this or afraid or misunderstand. They have misinformation about what fasting is. You're like, oh, that's for really spiritual people. It's not quite what's going on here. This is to help us understand, and we're not, you know, I was tempted to say, okay, you know, we're going to preach on fasting, and then we're all going to do a 40-day fast, right? Everyone's going to agree with this. No, that's not what we're going to do. We're a no-mandated fast. Now, that's not because I don't think it's a good idea to do this. I think what I want to do is I honestly want to respect your spiritual journey and say, you need to do this if you feel that this is part of what God is calling you to do. And if that means in your city group or in your family, you could do it together, then by all means. But I'm going to treat you like an adult this morning and let you decide that and figure that out. And my encouragement to you is be an adult about that. If God's doing this for you, don't walk out of here without making some sort of plan. But let's, let's get into what the passage is going to tell us. And, and here's the trouble, is that there's no instruction in the Bible that tells you how to fast. 
Right? That's, that's, you're not going to find some of the practical things. So it's like, how, do, how would I do a 40-day fast? Or what should I fast from? There's really not a lot of information in the Bible about this particular thing. Why? Because it was actually such a common practice in a lot of different religions, and there's a lot of different ways to go about it, that it would be impossible to say, this is how you fast, and this is for how long, and these sorts of things, and this is what you do, and this is who should fast, and this is who shouldn't. What the Bible does, though, is it deals with the motivation behind fasting all the time. So when you see passages on fasting in Scripture, you always see them dealing with the motivation behind fasting. Uh, if you want more information, I can recommend a number of books. Desiring God is a, it's a ministry of John Piper. He has spoken extensively about this. He talks exclusively about this. There's lots of good articles on desiringgod.com or .org or whatever, dot whatever it is, dot .church. I don't know anymore. Can't keep up. But there's lots of great articles. He's written a book called A Hunger for God that you can buy in paperback form, but actually you can download it for free on PDF, so you have no excuse, unless you don't have a computer, and then you're fasting from computer. I get that. But there's, there's lots of stuff out there that's really good. I can recommend a lot of spiritual discipline books as well. Donald Whitney has written a great book called uh, the, the, Spirit, no, the Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Dallas Willard has written a good book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Richard Foster has written a great book called The Celebration of Discipline. Each one of these books or articles could have lots of help. Uh, maybe we'll post it on the website, some of these sorts of things. Can't get into that stuff this morning. What I can get into and what I will get into, though, is the motivation behind it. So I want to read the text out for you this morning. It comes from the great book of Isaiah, which is one of the longest books in all of the Bible and one of the most uh, heart-pounding books as well. Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, follow along or just listen. The title is True and False Fasting. Seems pretty self-explanatory. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression. To the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have, you, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it, is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to to the Lord. Is this, is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. 
you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself up for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light arise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is God's word. Let's pray for him to open up to our eyes and hearts. So Jesus, we ask exactly that. Open our eyes, open our hearts, give us courage to obey what we hear from your Spirit. Spirit of God, come upon us in a way that we understand the text, not just information-wise, but that we actually change in our hearts. We're asking for this because we believe only you can actually do it. And we trust you for that, Jesus. And we ask this in your strong and powerful name. Amen. Someone wouldn't mind grabbing me a glass of water. I think I'm, I did the mistake of drinking coffee this morning. Thank you. So the first part of this text actually is, uh, why is fasting not working? This is three parts. Why fasting isn't working, what God hates about fasting, and what God loves about fasting. So let's listen carefully for those three things. First of all, why fasting isn't working, or why our fasting is not working. Thanks, Curtis. Appreciate it very much. Isaiah is one of the last books written before Jesus arrives on the scene. And the story of God, it happens just before really Jesus arrives on the scene and starts to make everything really well known. Uh, The reason why that's important is that one of the last things to happen to God's people was he basically sent them in what I call metaphorically as the 70-year spanking or disciplinary period of God's people. Uh, He had been trying to speak to them, trying to speak to them, sending prophets, telling them there's something wrong with the way you're thinking about me in the story of God. They weren't listening. They were assuming because they were really wealthy and things were going well that God's blessing was upon them. That wasn't the case. They were oppressing people. They were following other religions. They were mixing things up. And so God disciplined them by allowing a neighboring country, Babylon, to come in and take their best people away, give them college scholarships, and develop them as people for about 70 years. Some of the parts of Israel never recovered from that. Uh, We're going to be dealing with a new series coming up, the book of Ezra, which is all about how that community got rebuilt But essentially, Isaiah is one of these last books that's trying to speak to people that are just coming out of this. They're just coming out of this disciplinary period by God. So they're starting to return to God, uh, to to obey God. It's like a, a church that's dead and all of a sudden it's starting to come alive, essentially, is kind of what Isaiah is like. It's essentially a 66 chapter book of rebuke. Because Isaiah is a prophet who means business. He was actually speaking to Judah. So this is how messed up God's people were by this time. Uh, There were 12 tribes. One of them split off and basically said, we're really the chosen people. I know that stuff never happens today, so don't worry about it, right? Churches never go off by themselves and think they're the best. That never happens. So Isaiah is speaking to this people. God was so gracious that he said, even though you're split up and you're not unified like you should be, I'm still going to send a preacher specifically for you. 
Okay, that's set the background toward Isaiah a little bit. And so there's rebuke after rebuke after rebuke after rebuke. Hey, what's happening here? By the end of the book, Isaiah means business. Essentially, he goes after two amazing disciplines that we basically don't. Fasting and Sabbath, right? Top of your list in spiritual disciplines is Sabbath, right? Am I right? No? No? Okay, that's me being sarcastic if you're new to Urban Grace. It's not at the top of our list, nor is fasting. But these were two very external ways of showing your piety or your, your obedience toward God, right? I mean, nothing says how much you love God more than you stop working for one whole day. It's hard to hide that, right? Nothing kind of prevents, if you do it public enough, nothing seems more dedicated than not eating, right? If you decide to fast, if you decide that this is the way God wants you to obey, and you fast sometime this week, I can almost guarantee you someone will ask you for lunch or someone will ask you to go to food, and you'll have to say, I'm not eating today. So there's a very good way of showing off how awesome you are here. This is what Judah was doing. They were following these spiritual disciplines, and they were asking the question, hey, God, what? Like, we're fasting here. We're praying hard. Like, we're setting aside what we could do, which is eat. Why aren't you showing up? And Isaiah rebukes them, and he does it in a sarcastic way. So I have a verse for being sarcastic. Okay? He says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me daily. As if they were a nation that did righteousness. You can almost hear the sneer in Isaiah's voice. They ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Rolling his eyes. No, they don't, is what he's saying. Because they're asking, why, why have we fastened? You didn't see it. As if God is blind to this. It's fascinating. Why is their fasting not working? Because they're ignoring Actual obedience to God. Now, some of you do this very well. You obey God on the outside, but on the inside, it's a different story. Some of us, we read our Bibles very well, but we forget that there's someone behind the words of our Bible. If someone said, like, how involved are you at your church? You say, I go every Sunday, and yet your heart isn't really here for the most part. It's somewhere else. It looks good when you show up. No one ever asks the person who shows up week after week after week after week, hey, how are you really doing spiritually? Because you look like you're doing pretty good. I mean, it's so easy to like skate on some of these things. But God sees this. And so he uses this sarcasm to get their attention. So you're praying, but God isn't answering. Why do you think that is? And he'll go on. But before I kind of um, essentially talk more about that, I want to give a little bit of the history of fasting, even brief history of fasting. In the Bible, early biblical fast, fasts were very, um, this, this kind of just started to happen over time. I'll tell you how this happened. Someone desires to hear from God and they lose their appetite. Has that ever happened to you? You have a really stressful situation, you just kind of lose your appetite. 
Some of us are the opposite way. We like to eat when we get stressed out. But some of us, that's my experience, when I get really stressed out, I just forget to eat. Like I just lose my appetite and I, I, I'm not interested in it. And so you could see how this idea of fasting kind of takes off, right? So you get really stressful, you're praying a lot, you're just in earnest praying, you just totally forget to eat. And then you think, hey, this is a good experience. This idea of being hungry while I'm praying actually has some intense spiritual ramifications. And so it, it begins to take off from there. There's examples of, of particularly in the book of 1 Samuel, where a, a young lady who can't have kids, I mean, a real world situation, she can't have kids, so she starts to pray, she won't eat. And the priest is like, hey, what's the deal? You're not eating. She's like, I can't eat. I'm demanding of God that I have a child somehow. I'm just desperate for a kid. And it kind of moves on from there. And King David is very famous. He's a character in our Bible. It's very famous for when things were going wrong, he stopped eating. And his whole kingdom was like, hey, uh, you can't do that forever, by the way, king. Don't do that. I mean, nothing worse than a king who's like low on blood sugar heading out into battle, right? So like, hey, hey, that's good that you're praying, but make sure, you, <laughs> make sure you have like some juices or something. But it begins to become this national thing whereby people, in order to show that they're very serious about this prayer request, to stop eating as a way to explain this to God, to show him their devotion. By the time we reach Jesus, fasting was so common, he doesn't talk about it. And explain it at all, except he does talk about the motivation. In fact, there were so many devout people um, in those times. There were particularly devout people who were basically, I, I call them seminary students because they had a lot of, had knowledge, but they, weren't, they were jerks. You ever met someone like that? Right? They, they know a lot about God, but you actually don't want to have a meal with them. You know, I have met people like this, so maybe that's my sarcasm gift coming out once again. But in Matthew chapter 6, which is kind of a blueprint for basic spiritual life, Jesus talks about fasting. And when you do fast, he assumes that people who follow him are going to fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Ah, oh, we're starting to see a little bit of the problem behind this. In fact, Pharisees were known to fast twice a week. And you know how you knew? They took off their makeup. It looked like really haggard, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, 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 yeah, I'm fasting today. Because I just love God so much, but I, I can't take care of myself. So God actually has, Jesus calls him out on it. He's like, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, put on some makeup. Don't let people know that you're fasting. So there was these problems kind of creeping into this whole process. And Isaiah really gets to the bottom of it. Um, in Luke chapter 33, actually, uh, these Pharisees are not satisfied simply on hearing Jesus' teaching. Listen to this. It's, it says in my Bible, a question about fasting. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so are the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Can you just hear the sneering sarcasm there as well? And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Boom. I think my translation actually has, insert microphone drop here. 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. What's Jesus saying to them? He's saying the point of fasting is to get to know me better. And I'm right here, so why would they fast? Because they were fasting for all the wrong reasons. They were fasting to what? Show off how awesome they were. Show off how dedicated they were. Show off how obedient they were. And Jesus says, you've missed fasting altogether. Fasting is about wanting more of God. If you don't want more of God, then fasting is absolutely useless. Christian fasting, that is. Isn't that an amazing statement? Some of you are like, yeah, I can really see some of the benefits of fasting. I can do these cleanses and I can, that's great, that's fine. Just don't call this Christian fasting is essentially what Jesus is saying. Call that cleansing or something else. Call that living in Sunnyside. You can call whatever you want. But just don't call this Christian fasting because that's not what this is about. This is about finding out more of what God is like and who God is. So this is where we want to get into this whole business of the fasting that God hates. I know, super positive, hey, super positive point, but that's in the text. I hate these fasts. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And so here's where we're going to go through it. What are elements of the fasting that God hates? Here's the first one. Fasting to impress God Fasting to impress ourselves or fasting to impress others is the fasting that God hates. Wow. If you think that because you can't get attention with God in your prayer life and if you fast, he'll pay more attention, like somehow he's got this radar and he can see with the heat and he's like, oh yeah, I see that group there is fasting, so I'll listen to them better. You are dead wrong. That's the kind of fasting that God is not impressed with. The kind that makes you, puffs you up, makes you look good, makes you impressive, makes you seem more obedient. And I added ourselves because I think that's the deepest, darkest side of this. Is that sometimes we fast to prove how faithful we are to God. I know because I've done this. I was out of money. Early days of church planning, didn't know where. I was like fasting for God. I was like, maybe I can get his attention by fasting. (laughs) Wrong. Thankfully, God was gracious. He answered my prayer in that moment. But what he'd say to me now, what he did say to me now is, it wasn't because you fasted, it's because I'm gracious. This is important for us to get if we're going to approach this issue. That this isn't about impressing God. This isn't about impressing ourselves or impressing our friends. And I can tell you right now, you will be tempted to impress your friends with this. This is impressive. Especially in our culture of gluttony. Even my neighbor fasted. Not for biblical reasons, but it's just like, I I just think it's a good experience. But he was very quick to tell me it. This does not impress God the way we think it does. And honestly, I would say you're wasting your time if this is your motivation for fasting. Try some other spiritual discipline. Secondly, we see it in the text 
fasting to replace action. This is what was actually happening in the text. You see, what they were doing is they were going on these exorbitant fasts for days upon days. They were doing this so regularly, and God was like, you know what I'd like you to stop? You stopped eating. You know what I'd really like you to stop? Oppressing your employees. I'd like you to stop taking advantage of those who don't have any money. That's what I'd like you to stop if you're interested in stopping something. He says, God is almost mocking these people into hearing him correctly. And we've done this. We have some part of our life that we just do not want to get right with God. We know God is convicting us of a particular sin, but we think if we can be really obedient in this area, it can somehow measure out. Do you know what that is? Karma. Do you know what that isn't? The gospel of Jesus Christ. God does not work this way. The God of the Bible is gracious. He does not take all of the good things that you and I do, measure them up and say, is that good enough? Yeah, it seems like it's pretty good and so I'll bless you. That's not how God works. But some of us operate this way thinking that maybe if we fast in this area, then it cannot, we don't have to deal with our addiction to television or pornography or food or ourselves or money or anything like that. It's not how God works. Here's the fasting that God hates. Fasting that somehow tries to do the end around of confessing our sin toward God. Some would say, well, you know, true fasting, he doesn't want fasting, he wants social justice. That's not what the text is trying to say. The, the text is keying in on an area in these people's lives that they were completely ignorant of, thinking if God just understood how dedicated we are to him, he would answer us. And he said, you know why I'm not answering you? You're not obeying what I've already told you. The fasting that God hates is the kind of fasting that is trying to replace obedience to God with religious activity. There are a lot of other religions. There are natural ways of us thinking that if we just do enough obedient things for God, then we somehow can get God's favor and he'll overlook all of the things that we're not willing to admit. And that's not how the gospel works. The gospel is the Bible's shorthand word for good news. It's good news because you can't earn it. It's good news because Jesus Christ came, he died a death for you as Joel said, he rose again and he offers this to you not because of what you offer him in return in terms of obedience but because of his grace. He says if you believe that I am God and that I take your sin away and that you're a sinner and that you need help for a savior then you're welcome into my kingdom. If you think you can earn your way into my kingdom then you don't need me. You should look somewhere else. That's actually another text that talks about fasting. It's actually in Luke 18, which piggybacks on last week's text. It says one guy was like, look at, look at how awesome I am. I'm better than that guy. And this other guy prayed. He fasted and he said, I'm not worthy. I know that everything I have is of grace. And Jesus said, guess which one of these I'm pleased with? The one who humbly came to me and said, I need your help. 
I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve your grace. He said, that's the person I justify with my grace. Some of us need this harsh rebuke because this isn't just about fasting. This is about every spiritual discipline. This is about our whole attitude toward God. This is where I distinguish between grace and religion. Religion is what I can do for God. Grace is what I receive from him. There's a massive difference between these two. The good news is not something we earn. It's something we receive by the gracious favor of the sovereign ruler of the universe who loved us so deeply that he sent his son to show us this grace, to live the life we should have lived, and then turned around and gave us everything that his son had earned for us. How do we end? We end with the fasting that God loves. The fasting that God loves. Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness? It's talking about something that's deeply caught in people's hearts. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. See, that's not just about social justice. That's about something's wrong with these people's hearts. It's not merely that they're oppressing other people. It's that money has such a deep grip over their heart that they have to oppress their employees in order to get the money that they want. You see how that's not a social justice issue? That's an idolatry heart problem. That's greed. This is what Jesus is saying. The fasting is God, that God loves is the kind of fasting that is trying to loose the bonds of the greed that rules many of our hearts. That's the fasting that God loves. The humble fasting that comes to him. And so this is the first thing that we see. True fasting shows us what we can't do, not what we can. Some of you fast to show what you can do for God. True fasting is there to show us what we can't do. There's few things in this world that I know that going without food will reveal faster than I can't live without somebody providing food. This is what this is about. Now some of you, honestly, some of you are pregnant or will be pregnant. Fasting's not a good idea for you from food. I'm not telling you who's pregnant and who's not. I'm just saying, ask your doctor. They'll tell you, not a good idea. Right? Some of you are breastfeeding. Not a good idea to fast right now. This isn't about food. This is about the condition of our heart. And so take something that you normally need or at least think you need. Television. Social media, oh, look at what would happen in our church if we fasted from social media, even for an hour. Some of you can't do it. Why? Because what people say about you has such a grip on your heart that you just have to tell them what you're doing to get that feedback, to get that encouragement from someone, to get that like, that thumbs up, that fist pound. Here's what God's saying. Fast from it. Why? Because this has a deeper grip on you than you think it does. See, fasting is not for him. It's for us. It's a gift that is there to show us, man, if someone doesn't, 
If someone doesn't infer my identity, I'm so lost. How many of you, if you fasted from social media for the day, you would almost crumble? Because your identity is in what people think of you. How many of you, if you fasted from television or pleasure for one day, you just feel that lack, you just feel empty? Do you see what this is about? This is not showing you what you can do. It's showing you what you can't do and how much you need a Savior. How much you need someone, something better. I mean, if you can, I'd say fast from food because it speeds the process up. Did you know that Jesus, who never sinned, fasted for 40 days? before he headed into ministry. Do you know why he did that? Because he found out for himself as a human what his love for God was really like. God gave that to him. Do you know how many people in the Bible, before they do important things, fast? Why? So that they can find out who's in charge here. Now this, this is an application point for us. Why should we fast? Why would I encourage you to fast? Do you want to know God more? Do you want to know who's in control? Do you know what you're really addicted to? Fast. You'll find out very quickly. You'll find out what kind of desires you did not realize were in there. And this happens with some cleanses, right? You go to them and go, I did not know that was in my body. Right? That's exactly what fasting is about. I, I did not know that I had a hard time doing this. You think you don't love food? Just see. Just see. You think you don't need help? Just, just find out. Secondly, true fasting points us to God rather than ourselves. The point at the end of the day is not to find out how faithful we are, how awesome we are, the point is to find out how merciful and gracious the Father is. Again, this is what the text says. You start actually obeying, I'm right there. That's what he says. You start loosing these bonds of wickedness, oh man, I'm there to lift you up. You cry out, here I am, I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here. This is what God wants to do with us through this process. He wants to say, you want more of me? I'm right here. I've always been here. You just couldn't see me the way you're seeing me now. I, for one, this changed again my motivation and my desire to fast because I, too, am afraid. I like food. I like snacks. I like jelly beans, okay? I'll admit that out loud. I like jelly beans, okay? I like television. I like sports. I like money. I don't think I like them as much as I think I do, but I'm starting to realize I think I probably like them a lot more than I like God sometimes. You see, fasting is about finding out what you really have an appetite for. It's about appetite. It's about appetite. That's all it is. You don't think your appetite is big? That's because you're full. Right? What do they tell you about shopping? When should you never go shopping? Anyone? When you're hungry. Why? Because you make bad decisions. You're like, oh, my appetite's like crazy. Like, I could totally eat that. And then you eat it. You're like, I couldn't eat that. What was I thinking? 
What changed that? It was your appetite that changed that. When should you go shopping? When you're full, when you don't need the stuff. Fasting is about filling your appetite with God so you can come back into the real world and go, I'm full, I don't need you. I don't need you pleasure. I don't need you social media. I don't need you money. I don't need you family. I have God. I'm full of God. I'm full. I know who God is. I know who's in charge. I know who will provide my every need. I know where my destiny is. I know what's going to happen to me after I die. I know what's going to happen to me before. I know how to get through everything in between. I know it because I've seen God. He's right with me. And we go back into the real world where daily we get attacked by this. I don't know about you, but I've gotten myself on far too many of really insignificant things. And I want my appetite to be larger for God and less for myself. A very famous philosopher said this, and I'll call the band up. The early desert fathers believed that a person's appetites are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates take away the edge from our hunger and thirst for our righteousness. They spoil the appetite for God. This morning I'm calling us as a community, and you know what, if you're new to Christianity, it's actually a great place to start. That the most important thing about your Christian life is your appetite for the Savior Jesus Christ. That's the most important meal you will ever eat is the meal that we celebrate every single week. Yes, it's a symbolic meal and it's not there to fill you up. And did you know the early church had a problem with this? If you read in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a whole letter that says you guys are filling yourselves so full so that when you come to this table, you're already full. You're having problems with digestion. He said, you need to set aside, you need to fast so that when you come to partake of this meal, you're full of God. So that's why we celebrate this every week to remind you there's a better meal, and that meal is Jesus. And this is what is symbolized here. The bread and the cup. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. That God did not just come Spiritually, he came physically. He did not just come and lead a good example and then walk away. He was here. He suffered like you suffered. He fasted longer than you or I will probably ever fast. He put up with more crap than you and I will ever have to put up with in their lives. That's symbolized by the bread. But he didn't just live as a good example for us, friends. He actually fasted in the right way, the pure way, and he fasted in some ways, in your place. He fasted from communion with the Father for a season so that you and I would have eternal communion with the Father. He set aside his own, he stopped having a relationship with his Father for a season. He died so that you and I would never have to be separated and never have to stop our relationship with God. And that's symbolized in the cup. That's symbolized by wine because it's so close to the idea of blood that it was his shed blood that did this. And so I just invite you this morning to a meal. Before you think about fasting, why don't you feast? Why don't you feast 
on the Savior? Why don't you feast on the one who brings the real identity to your life? Why don't you feast on the one who can provide you with all of the things you need? And if you're not yet a believer, I would say this. This is not a magical ceremony that will suddenly change your life. We believe this is reserved for those who have already taken that step of belief and faith. And so we say, if, if you are, don't yet believe that Jesus is everything for you, you can hold off from this table. But if you believe that, and this is the first time you believe that, what could possibly hold you back from partaking of the feast? So let me pray, and then Joel, let you lead us. Jesus, draw us nearer to you so that we may receive more. Our appetites are in the wrong place. Our appetites are on me, us, and the things that surround us. And Jesus, I'm praying on behalf of all those here this morning who say, I've had enough of me. I've had enough of the things I'm filling myself up with, and I want more of you. Jesus, would you touch us with your spirit and remind us of your goodness as we partake and respond in worship this morning, Jesus. I pray these things. Amen.